Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Colter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the Wingate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space, because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the Wingate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan, you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. Sports and business. The wrong thing to think is that they're two different things. It's mm-hmm. Tutel and Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, hour number two, straight ahead, right now. Good to be with you on uh, this Tuesday afternoon. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Thanks for being with us. If you missed anything in the first hour, you can listen on the podcast. The Tutel and Nuanas podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, listen. And uh, the podcast is available thanks to Blackfoot Communications. If you want to call, 361-3688 is the phone number. All guests join us via the Range Brothers RV phone line. And you can also listen on the World Wide Web, 1029ESPN.com. You go there, you check it out live all the time on the stream. The stream is available thanks to Opportunity Bank of Montana, Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Now, we've been doing this, well, once. This is twice. Every two weeks on a Tuesday 
We're going to welcome in our friend Justin Angle, business professor at the University of Montana, for the business angle here on Tutel Nuanas. Justin Angle runs proprietor of uh, 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 Interviewer on a New Angle podcast, which drops every Tuesday as well. And it's an all-around good guy front of the show. Hello, Justin. Welcome back in. How are you? I'm doing okay. I feel a little bit like I'm uh, maybe winning the popular vote, but losing the electoral college today. <laughs> I'm going sideways. Is, is that, well, I don't know. I don't know what the exact analog is. I think you're winning it all, man. I think it's a full, clean sweep for Justin Angle on that thing. I know. Did you vote today, or did you vote ahead of time? Uh, we voted like the day uh, that our uh, that our absentee ballots arrived in the mail. Okay, um, sent them in right away. So get it in, get it done. Ago, yeah. yeah. Okay. Very good. I was seeing Pretty the much, lines. Yeah. Out there. I mean. Yeah. How about you guys? What did you, how did you get through? Uh, I stared at it for a while, then I filled it out about two weeks ago, and I drove it down. I like to do the in-person thing. It just is like a deal. You know, I like giving it to the guy and getting the sticker and uh, and, and doing it that way. And Coulter, he had a pretty good plan. What you, yeah, you I, told- I dropped mine off at 6.59 last night, one minute before my polling place closed. So I think I was the last person on the day before election day to vote in Missoula. Well, I'll tell you what, awesome. a, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people turned out today. We were talking earlier, Justin. I mean, I saw a line, uh, you know, on on Twitter there, like two hours long uh, to get into the polling place over on Russell. So that continues to kind of roll through. But pretty, I mean, we, I, we, I know we got some Disney stuff to talk about. We'll get to, but this is like a huge turnout in the state of Montana right now, right? I mean, I, I know that you keep up on this stuff quite a bit, but you're talking about like over eighty percent coming into the day. Of, of like available voters or registered voters had voted? I mean, the, the numbers have been um, overwhelming. And, you know, it's not surprising. This is this is a hot election. Uh, whatever side you're on, folks are passionate. Folks are wound up. And, uh, and they're getting out there and voting. And that's ultimately, like, what we want a populist to do. So however this thing shakes out, I mean, I think it's ultimately – a good sign for the country that so so many people are engaging in the process and you know executing their their right and privilege to vote so i like that the fact that you know we're seeing some lines is not overly surprising i mean you gotta it takes you know with COVID, it takes time to process people through a system so you know hopefully they're able to get folks through uh relatively efficiently and do so in a way where where people are and feel safe um, haven't heard many, uh, you know, the news has actually been pretty good so far. There haven't been many stories of, of big disruptions. Uh, sure. People are waiting in line, but, um, it's ultimately, a, ultimately a good sign that they're waiting in line to do something important to them. Well, yeah. people are getting, getting hot and have been about politics for a little while, but not me. I am completely, completely <laughs> calm, just like a docile, bovine person on this stuff, but I get wound up about sports, my man. I Out here, I start screaming my head off, you know? So that's, I, I don't know, perhaps it's wrong priorities, wrong emotional placement on my part or something like that. But as it is, we're, we wanted to get you in here on the business angle every uh, every couple of weeks to talk about sports from a different a little bit of a different perspective and kind of through the lens of business whether that's actually money or whether that's you know marketing promotion and the way things out and one of the things we talked about you know throughout the last couple of weeks was this interesting reality that Disney for instance 
is a, a it is huge, huge, you know, entity, corporation. I don't even know what you call it. Is it bigger than a corporation? Whatever it is. And they own ESPN on one hand, but also then owned mm-hmm. the property and provided the arenas in which the NBA played in their bubble for the end of the regular season and the playoffs. And you could conceive of a scenario, right, where whether it was Disney or some some other giant entity with tons of money or some, something could be an entity that could sort of cover, uh, market, uh, air, broadcast, radio, television, and whether it would be own or at least make available to the teams, have an interest in the teams themselves or the league itself and all of that stuff. And I think usually people like to have those things separated out, right? Like this is, you got the media entity over here. You got the sports entity over here. You got the oversight committee, whether it's like the NCAA over here and like they should all be different, but we're seeing maybe some blurring of those lines a little bit, right? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of different kind of uh, forces and structures kind of kind of coming together in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, the first thing, you know, when, when COVID kind of came down, we sort of looked at all the different sports leagues, the professional sports leagues, and in, in many ways, college sports as well. They're like to think about like how are these different organizations going to deal with the challenge of producing sporting events? Is it safe to produce a sporting event? How can you deliver it to fans? Should fans be involved? And you saw a lot of different models. I mean, baseball did one thing. The NFL's doing another. The NBA was perhaps, uh, I don't know if extreme's the right word, but yeah, they created this bubble, right? And in many ways, like this was the move that really signaled that Disney was sort of seizing opportunity, seizing victory from the jaws of defeat. I mean, if you look at Disney, right? It is a company that's got a wide variety of revenue streams. Some of those revenue streams, uh, like the streaming services, would do really well under COVID. But some of those revenue streams, like the parks, like the cruise lines, um, you know, obviously under threat. And they so they took this fallow asset that is Disney World, and they monetized it, getting $150 million from the NBA to bring all those players to the park and the bubble. I mean, you guys probably talked about it on the show. Like they executed near flawlessly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was a case of COVID. It was a good product. They were able to get through the, the, you know, the, the abbreviated season and the playoffs without any real COVID problems and disruptions. So it felt like one, a really good product for the viewer, but also hey, here's Disney all of a sudden kind of making a play in this new space for them. And then fast forward, you know, a few months to this recent restructuring story, I think it came out two, three weeks ago, that Disney's sort of restructuring its business around trying to emphasize the streaming services. Well, you know, that's not hugely surprising. But yeah, Ryan, you mentioned they own ESPN now, or they've owned ESPN for a while, but like, this creates some interesting opportunities because they've got this sort of bubble model. Who knows how long we're going to be in that, but they're able to kind of have exclusivity to this NBA content in a way. And then they have distribution through streaming. You could think about ways they could put live sports behind paywalls that they can protect. Um, and live sports are one of the, the remaining reasons to tune into something live. 
Right. So they could be in a really powerful position. Other people are saying, hey, this is a signal they're trying to get out of sports. The ESPN is expensive right now. The ratings are down. They got these complicated legacy contracts. But I do think, I look at this and I think here's an opportunity for Disney to really kind of lock up a really compelling piece of content and, and monetize it in a, in a way that creates recurring revenue uh, for an already powerful company. Hey, what, I mean, what do you guys think? What do you think happens to ESPN through all of this? Well, I think that the, the a la carte sporting experience is definitely something that has been on my mind for a long time. I think that the, the common cable television consumer of the last 30 years didn't really realize that you are paying a subscription fee to get ESPN. It's just part of a greater cable package. And there's been this alliance of a lot of channels that want you to pay five, six, seven bucks to have their their channel be included in your cable package. Well, now with everybody cutting the cord, or at least a large amount of the younger demographic cutting the cord, how do you replace that? And you're right, Justin, the one thing that has maintained is people, they need their network television, they need their ESPN because of the live sporting aspect. But if you could find a way to give that to people a la carte, and they already have sort of implemented certain avenues of that, ESPN Plus with the UFC, what they're doing right now, where you got ESPN Plus, you can get the UFC pay-per-view a lot cheaper than maybe you would have in the past. It's an interesting deal. I just want to know, you know, would it impede viewership if it was an upfront cost to watch the NBA, for example? I'm not sure because it seems as if if you don't know you're paying this fee because you're just paying as part of a larger cable package, it's less of a hit to you psychologically than it is if you're just paying $7 right out of your pocket, even though it's the exact same cost. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a challenge of communication to the customer. I think the customer is kind of in the current model getting ripped off a little bit. Like you're paying a lump sum for a bundle and you know, the cable companies know, and we've known, we've known this for a long time and you reference cable cutting. Like we've known for a long time that like people are only buying a certain cable cu- cable package because it gives them ESPN or it gives them some other network that's important to them. But they're made to think like they're paying for all this other stuff that they don't really need or consume or really have any interest in. So that is from the consumer surplus standpoint, like consumers leaving a little bit of money on the table and figuring out like, Hey, I could just pay for ESPN all by itself in, through a streaming platform. You know, that could be, that could be really compelling. And then you think like you could even break that up further. Like you could, you know, ESPN probably wants to, 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 to commit you to some bundle of products, but you could slice and dice these products, um, according to demand, kind of like an Uber model of, um, of, uh, of programming. Like you could have surge pricing when things are, are, uh, really in demand. It could, there's a lot of different things you could do with this. I mean, I don't know how much consumers would, would buy into, um, or how much they'd sort of be willing to endure, but ultimately like what's emerging is a platform through which Disney could sort of price according to demand. And there is great demand for a lot of these um, live sporting events. And that could create a really powerful uh, profit mechanism for the company. Justin Angle joining us. Business Angle is the name of the segment as we, uh, you know, have come up with all of our creativity and our creative juices to uh, use his name as a pun. You know, I think that's excellent (laughs) by us. Uh, Justin, 
I, I'm interested. I want to drop down to the college level for a moment and think about this because mm-hmm. I was thinking about the bubble and you know Disney being the entity that was providing the arena and the the, the area to actually have this, but also owning the some of the media rights to this and and some of the exposure part of this as well. Uh, what happens if it was you know whatever corporation you want to throw in there, but the NCAA, or excuse me, the, the college football playoff playoff is not NCAA, right? The basketball tournament is, but the playoff is not. The playoff is just the playoff, and there's some committee that got together and they, you know, got them Bill Hancock out there to 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 run this thing, and and they basically are administrating it, and it's it's put on. Honestly, I don't even know through whom. I mean, it's through television rights and, and uh, you know, sharing of resources to have venues and things like that. But you could envision, right, a scenario where Mark Cuban decides that he wants to have a college football playoff and he's going to pay more money to the schools in order for them to accept his invitation to the Mark Cuban, you know, playoffs. And he says, we're all going to go to Dallas and we're going to play an 8 or a 16 team playoff here. This will be the true national championship. Everybody's going to come and my company is the one that's going to host it, is going to air it, is going to have the rights to it, is going to have the advertising to it and is going to oversee it. And all of a sudden, it's just one entity that basically does the whole thing because they have the means and the resources to entice all of the the participants to to go along with them. Do you envision that there's something like that that could happen? And it, are, are we getting into, I don't know, a, a really gray area of, of something like the sports version of the separation of powers or something like this? Well, I think that's definitely a possible scenario, Ryan, and it kind of like really sharpens up the notion that, you know, a lot of these decisions are driven by the dollar and are driven by business dynamics. I mean, particularly if you've got a playoff system that's operating outside of the NCAA, then these schools are sort of free agents in a way. And it would be really interesting to sort of see how, like, who has the power in these in these emerging uh, scenarios. Is it, you know, the Mark Cubans, as you say? Is it the, the entities that can come to the table with the most money? Or is it more the, the teams or the colleges that that sort of where those teams reside or is it with the players or was it with the coaches? I mean, you know, you couple that with this, this moment we're going through where there's this kind of movement to pay collegiate athletes and sort of questions about how they'll eventually get paid. So, yeah, I mean, I think these, these disruptive forces, both in terms of how the content is delivered to viewers, but also in terms of who kind of owns it, and can sort of make the decisions as to how it's packaged and delivered, uh, those are really going to kind of drive how college sports um, sort of evolves. And it could evolve really quickly. Uh, it's hard to know. But, uh, you know, I definitely, you know, the, 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 football, um, the football playoff thing is a great example because all of a sudden, like once you detach something from the NC2A, they lose control of that, and the business entities could could entirely rewrite the script, as you say. So, wouldn't surprise me if somebody like a Cuban or somebody else came in and um, took ownership of it completely. And then you add COVID, and maybe it's a Disney, right? Maybe they can say, "Hey, we've got a ton of great real estate, and we can sort of 
guarantee a vaccinated experience and vaccinated kind of in, in the metaphorical sense, right? But we can guarantee a safe experience for the athletes, for the coaches, for the fans, whatever. We control it end to end. And then we sort of control how it's distributed. I mean, that could be a powerful offering to, uh, to a college, to a set of colleges. I mean, it's a very small number of colleges that are at the tip of the spear with college football. I could see a world where those schools kind of crowd around and, and agree upon a system like that. Yeah. And there's two things there that I find compelling. One, there, <clears throat> there actually is a precedent for this. It's easy to forget because it was so long ago. But for a great many years, the National Invitational Tournament, the NIT, was the prestigious mm-hmm. tournament in college basketball, not the NCAA tournament. All the lingo that goes along with the NCAA tournament, March Madness, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, you know, one shining moment, all these things that have become so ingrained in American culture, those things did not exist. In the 30s and 40s, college basketball was hardly on television anywhere. So when you have this invitational tournament in New York City, it got the teams so much more media exposure. Up until 1975, the NCAA didn't allow multiple teams from the same conference into the tournament. And in fact, they seeded everything purely regionally. So if you weren't one of the top three teams in the East, for example, you might not get in. And that just completely demeaned the regional rivalries and things like that. But then what happened? The NCAA loosened their rules. They started giving out at-large bids. They doubled the size of their tournament. Boom, they signed a TV contract with CBS. The rest is history. Now, the NIT is largely considered just a consolation prize to the NCAA tournament. And we have all these things that are part of our lexicon like Cinderella's and the upset and everybody's filling out a bracket and we all live for the madness and all these different things. Uh, but it's, it, the precedent's already been set. Uh, but just, I thought what you just said is so interesting too, in terms of um, the potential for replication of the NBA playoffs by a different sport, namely men's college basketball, because to me, the NCAA had no ground to stand on when it came to college football this year. It's why they didn't try to govern any of it because none of the, the end result for the power five conferences has anything to do with the NCAA. They do not govern the playoff. Like you just said, the college football playoff is not an NCAA entity. So the NCAA has no financial stake in it. They're not going to make any money off of it. And they really have no say in it whatsoever. Period. It's up to the schools to have autonomy, make their own autonomous decisions. But in the NCAA for Ben's basketball, they absolutely, in my opinion, at least given that they already canceled the tournament last year, they absolutely have to have the tournament this year. And so you wonder if they try to replicate it. And I wonder what that would look like. I mean, you wonder if maybe the NCAA tournament is in a bubble situation, or maybe you find multiple bubble situations, Vegas, Orlando, it seems to me, though, like the model has been set and maybe it is replicated for the NCAA tournament because I think that th- when we get to that point in the spring, in March, I think that's what it's going uh, to take if it's to happen. But they have to have it happen else it's going to be financial gloom and doom for the entire sport as we know it and probably NCAA sports, period, because the NCAA tournament has such a huge hand in funding other sports as well. Yeah, hundred percent. It'd be, you know, there's, there's, I could see this going multiple ways, right? I think your, your sort of notion of sort of regional bubbles could, could be the way this goes down. Cause you know, one argument would be, well, you could shrink the size of the field. Well, that kind of, uh, there, there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that financially, but you know, you have these sort of regional bubbles that roll up into a bubble experiment, a, a bubble experience that could be really compelling. And what basketball has going for it is it's such a smaller 
thing. Like the smaller number of players on right. each con- on each team, fewer coaches, fewer. You know, there's the infrastructure involved in producing a basketball game is much simpler. Um, so I could see that bubble. I mean, we learned a great lesson from the NBA bubble, and it would not surprise. I mean, the NCAA should be thinking about how to replicate that and how to use that model to uh, to make their tournament happen. Because Coulter, you're completely right. Like the tournament has to happen. It's going to drive the financial model of not only the NCAA but so many of the schools involved in, in the system as well. So they are no doubt trying to figure out how they're going to do this. Well, Justin, we appreciate it. A little longer one here at the top of the hour. We appreciate you taking the time and, and thinking through this stuff with us and, and, and kind of helping us imagine like maybe some of the direction some of this stuff might go. It, it's really interesting. And, and uh, yeah, we'll, I think there's a lot to like perhaps as a consumer and then some stuff obviously to be wary of as well. So we'll, we'll uh, you know, continue to take a look at this and, and see what impact especially COVID has. And again, we'll talk to you more in two weeks and see where we're at then. All right. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Justin Angle, uh, proprietor of a new angle. By the way, brand new new angle earlier today. Brendan Leonard uh, on uh, a new angle podcast uh, just dropped this morning. Uh, He runs Semirad on Instagram. Great follow on Instagram. And now uh, back in Missoula is Brendan Leonard. So you can listen to that podcast, follow a new angle, listen to it wherever uh, you listen to your podcast. You can also listen to it online. And uh, Justin joining us for a business angle every other Tuesday. Appreciate that. How interesting, man, to think about like, you know, creating a firewall that now you have live sports that are, you know, that, that you control basically the access to, uh, which in, in a certain way happens, but, but it's like CBS, NBC, ABC, they're still free over the air. I mean, I realize most people get cable or satellite or whatever, Mm -hmm. but terrestrial TV, which a lot more people are going back to now with, 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 you know, antennas and so forth, Mm -hmm. you can just get it. If it's on, you can get it. Right. Some stuff now you can't get it right. I mean, even, even, the FCS playoff. It's been this way for a long time. It's on it's on ESPN online. You got to subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch those games period because they're not on ESPN television and that they're the ones who have the rights to the entire playoff. So it's it's uh, a pretty pretty interesting and in to to see the way these things might go and some of the positioning that, you know, just like okay, on the surface of it, Disney got 150 million dollars for hosting the NBA. That's pretty good. But also, was how much of that was an experiment slash uh, 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 you know movement on the part of Disney to try and see well what it, you know what would this look like in the future regardless of COVID? What if we were hosting events? You know that kind of thing. And 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 uh, you know there's a lot there's a lot there. Yeah, some people in the know when it comes to college hoops that I've been talking with. I've talked a lot about this, actually. And the consideration, especially from the Power Five, the Power Five, they absolutely have to have the NCAA tournament because some of those programs, it's just like we always say, when you're when you're University of Montana football, you write in a sellout into your budget yeah. for each of the six home games. And so then even if you just have a couple games where you're a couple hundred people short of a sellout, you're falling short of your budget, but you have to do it because you have such a high potential to do that, and you need to sell out the games to fund your athletic department. Well, it's just like if you're Gonzaga or you're Duke or you're Kentucky, you probably have it budgeted in that you're at least going to go to the Sweet 16, which is at least going to earn your school you know, at least a, a portion of the payout that your conference is going to receive. And if you're 
Gonzaga, at least in the past, the WCC is going to give you a vast majority of that money. And so not having that money, not having that win share, that hugely impacts the budgets of these things. So I think that the schools, they have to figure out a way to absolutely make this happen. But that's where this thing is going to come down to it is, it, this is my opinion, but I think that we will see an NCAA tournament in multiple regional bubbles and then going down to then what it amounts to the final, call it final four, final eight bubble, whatever it might be, the regional finals and then the, the final four. And I think we'll have not nearly as many tournament sites, probably like four, two, one yeah, to get this thing done. Yeah. But they're going to have to come up with a plan for revenue sharing and or NCAA subsidization for testing. Because if it just comes down to the schools having to pay for the tests, it's going to make it the haves and the no, have-nots. Yeah, I, in, in, in the postseason anyway, all of that stuff is, I mean, the testing, we haven't seen it yet because right. we haven't been through that yet. But like all the travel, all the lodging, right. everything is is done by the NCAA. They're right. the ones doing it. And obviously, you would assume that they, the, the, the schools would not be on the hook for Right. You know, daily or weekly or whatever types of tests. Right. And so that because this is going to be a completely different form of broadcasting, I think that they could renegotiate the TV deal in, in for a singular year. Because objectively, I think way more people are going to be watching these things on TV because these regional tournaments are so cool. You have 32 sites around the country for the first round of the NCAA tournament. People go to them all the time. I know all sorts of people that go over to Spokane or go down to Salt Lake City to go watch the games. 30,000 people here, 30,000 people there. Now those people are all not going to be at the games. They're all going to be at their homes. So you're naturally going to have a much an elevated um, audience on television. So I think you can then get a bigger return television money-wise, guaranteed-wise, if you're CBS, also if you're the NCAA. So then if you're the NCAA, you can use some of that money then to help subsidize testing and help out some of the the, the smaller schools. Because the, the nightmare here, if you're a school like the University of Montana or Montana State or a Big Sky School, a mid-major school, is that they go to a different tournament model where only those that can afford the testing can play. And then all of a sudden, we have the exact same situation we have in college football where it's the haves and the have-nots, no. and it's just the rich getting richer. And that, that would it would ruin the NCAA tournament because the entire allure of the NCAA tournament is the 13 right. seeds. And that's why that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They, they, they would not allow that to happen. Okay, well, I'm glad we had the talk then. It's 2 Tell Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get into a little bit of college football if we are able to. By the way, okay, football is going, right? The Pac-12 starting this weekend, going to the second half. Unbelievable. The NFL season. I guess we're right at the midway point if you include the bye. In any case, it's all happening, and it's all on on 55 different televisions at the Silver Slipper. So whatever you're into, whatever sports you want, whatever team you got, go watch at the Silver Slipper. They have drink specials every single day, 20 Kino machines, a liquor store, and pizza. Hello. There's nowhere else you should be watching your favorite team than at the Slipper, where it's all about great food, tasty beverages, and their urge to have a good time. By the way, the card room is back open. Games every night, 7 o'clock. Just text the following phone number or call it 333-1500. That's 333-1500 to get more information. You can also visit MissoulaPoker.com. Stop by today. See why the Silver Slipper is one of Montana's best-kept secrets. They're on Brooks on the south end of Missoula, right next to the uh, Country Club golf course right there. Okay, Beautiful spot, great location, not many options on the south side of town. Check them out, and also check them out on Facebook, Silver Slipper on Facebook, for daily drink specials and up-to-the-date info. Silver Slipper on Brooks. 
What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. Welcome back to Tell Nuanas, one of two ninety SPN radio, SWX Montana Television. Hope you're having a great day. Thanks for letting us be with you. We are so happy to be here with you. Always. Maybe today especially. We thank you. Hope you're well. Thanks for letting us ride along with you. We appreciate that. At Gus Tutel on Twitter, at 1029 ESPN, and at Skyline Sports MT. Those are your relevant Twitter handles. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit of college football, which we will get to here in a minute. But Coulter, because we just read this about, about Larry Kustad, I wanted to just point out a couple of things because this is pretty remarkable. Guy who won three state titles in two different races, the sprints in the 60s, goes to Stanford and is an All-American three different times in a span of five or six years, like spaced out, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 63, 65, 68. And in 63, he wins the World Games in Helsinki, Finland, which is the Olympics in a non-Olympic year, basically. I mean, he's the fastest man in the world in in Helsinki, Finland. Mm -hmm. But then he doesn't run in the Olympics until five years later in 68. He ends up taking sixth in that, which... It's great, but it you know when you were the fastest in the world and now you're sixth at the Olympics and you don't you know place or whatever. Okay, you know, but also, I mean, it's that's a long life for a sprinter to be you know separated over that period of time like he was. The other thing too is got to believe if it was 220 yards like it was in high school, like any real race runner knows, 200 yards. We're not quitting here. We're going 220, baby. Then he you know he makes up the time, right? <laughs> the guy's almost, it's almost like Forrest Gump, the moments that he had a chance to be right next to him. I and you mentioned in 1964, those Olympics, he was absolutely the number one favorite out of the United States to make the Olympic Games. And then some guy named Bob Hayes decided to start running track. And Bob, Bob Hayes is you perhaps would, the Bob. fastest person <laughs> of all. I mean, he's one of the fastest men to ever live. Yes. And so you said he ran a 9.3. This is back when this was yards, not meters. Right. But he ran a 9.3 in the 100. But Bob Hayes, in that same heat, shattered the world record running a, just under 9.2. And then the following year, or I guess the, then that in that same calendar year at the Olympic trials, you said pulls his hamstring, and so mm. he doesn't make it. So that's why you have that gap in his All American because he was try, That was you maintain your amateur rehab, status. Yeah. So he was away from Stanford. It didn't delay his eligibility because he was trying to qualify for the Olympics. Then he comes back to Stanford. Then he requalifies for the Olympic Games. But, he, you know, not only is he from Livingston, Montana, but it's such an interesting factor because track and field, track and field and boxing were probably the two sports that were integrated and desegregated at a really high level earliest. Obviously, Jackie Robinson breaking through in the late 40s was a huge deal in Major League Baseball, but there had been black heavyweight champions mm-hmm. for decades before that. I mean, Jack Johnson was the heavyweight champion back in the teens and early 20s, and you had you know Joe Lewis and uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. Those guys were pioneers for 
becoming visible African Americans to the sports viewing public. Right. But track and field then had with Jesse Owens setting the pace in thirty two, then became a sport that was so heavily African American, especially when it comes to the sprints. So then you talk about the nineteen sixty eight games. The, the the Olympics between nineteen sixty four and nineteen eighty eight were so interesting because the world was at uh, it was teetering on such an uh, an axis. Mm-hmm. It was a polarized world: democracy, communism. The Cold War was not just the United States and the, and the Soviet Union. It was basically a fight for global domination for the ideology. Which one's going to win out? Yeah. And so each time the Olympics came, it was a display of the most talented athletes from each country, but also a chance for a political statement. Mm-hmm. And there was multiple times where the United States didn't, they boycotted the Olympics because they didn't want to go to a communist place and vice versa. You know, Russia did not come to the Olympics, I believe it was 1980. I guess the, the Olympics were in the USSR in 1980. And that was a, a pretty, maybe the summer Olympics because the winter games right. were in Lake Placid. Right. But so the Russians so, certainly did come. Right. So you, so you have a lot of different back and forths. But the thing that's so fascinating is then the civil rights movement is raging in America. Right. And black people across the country are fighting for their rights. The Black Panthers become a thing. Malcolm X is this transcendent leader, Martin Luther King. And then all of a sudden you have this perhaps greatest track and field team ever assembled. 1968, that's considered widely the greatest track and field team ever assembled. Because you have all these wonderful sprinters just like... Uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos who went one, two in the 200. But you also have Bob Beeman who shatters the world record mm-hmm. uh, in the long jump. I mean, if you ever want to watch a crazy video, Bob Beeman goes out and he jumps and he shatters the world record, but he has no idea because they announce the number in meters and he can't do the math quick enough. So he's all disappointed because he doesn't understand. And then all of a sudden his coach comes and mobs him and says, Bob, you just broke the world record by three and a half feet. And he just faints. He just falls <laughs> over because he doesn't even understand. Anyways, this track and field team was one of the most iconic track and field teams ever. And then Kustad gets to run in that 200 meters, which That's at right. the time was the fastest 200 meters ever. And there's this video at the end of that race where they actually focus on him because he's the only white sprinter on the whole team and he's sitting in the stands with an American flag draped over his head and he's crying and he's so despondent because he realized he just missed his chance at an Olympic medal. Mm -hmm. In the meantime now, then one of the most memorable moments in the history of the Olympics is taking place when these guys take the podium and the Star Spangled Banners playing and they have the leather gloves on their fists and they raise their fists to the air. And I mean... Man, it, it's crazy to put that moment in perspective today, yeah. some more than 50 years later, and realize how much has changed and also how much has not changed. And that in itself is striking. But for this guy to be front and center at so many different events and to be... Livingston, Montana, to be, sitting there, yeah. And, and what a wild experience to be sort of the reverse anomaly, mm-hmm. you know, to, to not be a minority, but to be an absolutely one-of-a-kind minority in the world that you're competing in. And there's no white sprinters on that team or any, pretty much anywhere to be found. And so for him to have that, that those moments and those, that perspective, I think is, is fascinating, but oftentimes our, our track guys, they don't get as much credit as they deserve or, or sometimes it gets forgotten. But I mean, this dude was one of the greatest sprinters that ever lived and no he, he comes from Livingston, Montana. And that's a pretty amazing story. Larry Kustad. Uh, there's memory of him here today, again, passing away at the age of 77 in Boise, Idaho. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, now perhaps some college football. We'll see what we got time for next. 
What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. Welcome back to Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, across the 406. Outstanding to be with you on this Tuesday evening. I keep saying now, you know, I, I usually say afternoon because, you know, 406, kind of afternoon show, until we have the autumnal daylight savings and then everything moves back and now it is like properly dark when we get off this show so i think we have officially moved into uh evening an evening show or at least an evening second half of the show uh as it were so anyway good evening and thanks for being here uh if you missed anything today to tell nuanas go listen on the podcast the to tell nuanas podcast is available wherever you get your podcast you can rate review subscribe check it out the podcast is available all the time thanks to our friends at Blackfoot Communications. Uh, Coulter, I don't know, man. We could do a potpourri of things. The Wisconsin game has been uh, uh, canceled against Purdue. Again, I think 27 total uh, uh, members of the team or folks affiliated with the team have tested positive since since about a week and a half ago, uh, including Paul Chris, the head coach, and uh, the quarterback whose name fails me now, Graham Martz, I think. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh they, they're not playing football for a second week. The Big Ten, I think it put into their, uh, you know, rules for the season that you got to play six games in order to be eligible for the Big Ten championship game. Uh, with an eight-game season now missing two games, that means Wisconsin cannot miss another game either on their own, or, you know, for their reason or for another team's reason. Uh, and so they are, you know, teetering on the edge of not even being eligible. I have no idea what the rules are going to be pertaining to the football playoff if we have one. The Pac-12 is set to get start this weekend. I have no idea what their even schedule is, like how many games they've got prepared to play and how, you know, how they're going to fit stuff in. So interesting. I mean, we got teams that are playing like seven, eight games, right? And now we got an entire conference about to have their opening weekend right here. So weird. So it is, it is bizarre. And I don't know, man, like, what do you think about a nine and two ACC team versus a four and oh, you know, Pac-12 team? What do you do with that? And you wonder too, now that we're so dead set on having committees to select all these things, which I think it by and large is the right way to do it. It's not a computer anymore. It's not an algorithm. It's no, not. I, I like the committees on a selection side of right, things but, for but this. But they're still yeah. humans. Of course. And, and so that's the idea. Most recent performance, though, has a distinct impact on what you think. And so what if a team from the SEC or the ACC hasn't played a game in six, eight, ten weeks while the Pac-12 just wrapped up. Is that well, gonna, no, no. I, I mean, that, I, that's not going to happen, right? There's not going to be a bunch of space on the end of this thing for like the Pac-12 to get more games in, right? 
I, I mean, if you've already played six games like the ACC, how is there not? Well, because they're playing, they're going to play like a twelve or thirteen game schedule, and the and the 12, Pac twelve yeah. will play Naked half that, right? Seven game schedule, I guess it is. Well, uh, yeah, whatever it is. Hmm. So maybe there's an extra week in there, but you know, I I uh, you know the Big Ten they they already set. The date for the playoff selection, I've, I've, it's like December 20th or something like that, whatever that Sunday is, because the day before that, the 19th, is the date that the Big Ten Championship game is scheduled to be played. Yeah. Um, and so the Big Ten, you know, wanted to get their championship in, and then that was going to be their case for their, you know, for their entry into the college football playoff and, and, and what have you. The Pac-12, I don't know, but in terms of, you know, the actual selection committee, when they're sitting there, you know, siphoning through these teams, trying to decide, well, who's going to go, who's not going to go. Is there a minimum number of games that they're going to require teams to have played to even be eligible? Or is it just going to be like, well, you only played three games, but you beat Notre Dame, Notre Dame Alabama, and Georgia, so you're in at 3-0 and with a great strength of schedule, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean... I'm making this up, obviously, but you, you, you know, I, I think that's an interesting consideration to make, and that is, uh, I think there has to be a cutoff. Like, I just can't, I can't <laughs> conceive that a four or a five win team can should should be, you know, well, should be considered. You I mean, know what I mean? I mean? I mean, it's all for naught at this moment, anyways, right? I mean, well, it's not b- for b- naught, bar- barring completely unseen circumstances. Though the college football playoff is going to be Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, and then whoever else is fourth. Right, right. So first of all, for the whoever else is fourth, which is twenty five percent of the field, it's significant. I know, but does okay. So I, let me ask you this: Does any Pac twelve team have a chance to seize that fourth spot? Well, I don't know. I just, I just don't think they do. I think that Oregon has a lot returning on the offensive front, but they lose their best player on offense, Justin Herbert, their best player on defense, and Troy Dow. Uh, I, I don't think any of that matters. I think the only thing that matters is how many games did you play and did you go win them all and then win your championship game? Because here's the thing. I think the Big 12's out, right? I mean, Texas lost twice. Oklahoma's lost twice. Oregon State, or excuse me, Oklahoma State, which was lost their best week. you know, team, number six in the nation or whatever, they lose. So I, I think you're talking about, I think you're right. I mean, you know, you got, you know, Clemson, probably Alabama, Ohio State, and then and then some so, other team. But I, I could see, you know, a, a, a Georgia, right, or something like I, that. I, I just think that the the Pac-12 has a, a diminished reputation enough that running the table in the Pac-12 against only the Pac-12 isn't going to get you in the college football playoff. And that might be the case. But Oregon's the highest ranked team coming into this thing at number 13. USC's the only other ranked team at number 20. You just don't have any chance to beat any ranked teams unless some teams climb their way in the polls. So I guess what I'm getting at, though, is to me, the fourth spot would be impactful. It is impactful, but the to me, the front runner of, for that spot would have been Wisconsin, and who knows if they can make it to the end. So let me get... Let so me, that, that's, that's where it all falls apart. Exactly. If, if Wisconsin doesn't get their allotted amount of games in... And then they're just disqualified, even though they are perhaps the fourth best team in the country. That's brutal. And 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 what happens if it was to happen to Ohio State, right? right. Because the, the 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 reason this is is because the Big Ten has a very strict protocol about twenty one days, yep. you know, before you can come back and play. So if it befalls your team, you know, they're in Columbus. All of a sudden, the team that's almost a consensus, at least number three, if not number two, if not number one team in the nation, ain't. They're not even at the table. Let me ask you this, okay? Let's, let's let's get our two tell hat on here. Number six team in the nation right now, undefeated, Cincinnati. Mm. What about a, a, an absolutely perfect, dominant, 
a group of five team being there maybe, at the end. Maybe. You know? Maybe. It just depends on how much the result of Saturday's game between Clemson and Notre Dame impacts either mm. side. If Clemson wins, does Notre Dame still stay in that top eight and then maybe is able to fight their way back in? I do think that Notre Dame is going to get an elevated chance to make the college football playoff just because of the fan base. But here's the thing. If Notre Dame doesn't beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, nah. Right. Nah. Got to win this football game. Clemson can get back into it and say, hey, look, you know, we lost in a good game with Notre Dame. We didn't have our boy. Now we're back. You know, let's roll. Notre Dame, I think, has to win. BYU's rolling, dude. They are rolling. 7-0. Boys and girls, we wish you the best. Breathe deep. Be at peace. Take care of one another. And we will be back with you tomorrow. The electromagnetism that the radio works on never changes. We'll see you then. CSPN Radio. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.